This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Great to welcome back to our show, Carly Fiorina, former CEO at HP and also candidate for the 2016 GOP nomination for president. Hi, Carly. Great to talk to you again. Great to talk with you. How have you been? I'm doing good. The weather has turned. We're getting ready for summer. Everything's in great shape here in Philadelphia, and I'm sure it's down there in the D.C., Virginia area. Yes. Well, it it does feel good to have more and more people vaccinated and more and more masks off and more and more you know, people able to go out and enjoy things pre-pandemic. So, yes, things are looking up. So how confident are you about the second half of the year for the U.S. economy with that as kind of a key component? Well, I do think uh, we are seeing a very robust recovery, and that robust recovery will continue and indeed even accelerate. Uh, I think in some ways the recovery is being held back right now by lingering supply chain issues. We have known supply chains have been very, very strained over the last year, and some of that is still being worked through. Uh, There are real uh, labor shortages in some places, particularly in leisure and hospitality. But in general, I think you see a very robust recovery. Uh, Corporate earnings have been exceptionally strong. Uh, There are major companies announcing you know, major hiring. Amazon saying they're hiring 75,000 people, for example, with an increase in wages as well. I think underneath all of that robust recovery, there are some structural changes that occurred during the pandemic that are going to cause some dislocation uh, in some places and for some people. So, for example, uh, automation is here to stay. And the trend toward automation accelerated in the pandemic. Remote work is here to stay. And the trend toward flexible work and remote work, of course, accelerated during the pandemic. And so uh, I think anytime you have those kinds of structural dislocations, some are left behind for a period of time. Uh, But in general, I think the recovery is strong. And I think we could even begin to see increase in wages over time. So, you know, it's interesting because we saw President Biden yesterday out in Michigan uh, at a Ford plant and they were introducing their new electric vehicle. And we know that the investment that these automakers are making in electric is really heading us towards a big shift in that area. And I'm asking you this really in, in the scope of your time at HP. I don't know if you had that type of a fundamental shift occur when you were there, not necessarily the exact one, but but a similar type of scenario. But thinking about it from the corporate standpoint and the role as the CEO of really going into a period of time where there is such a fundamental shift like we're going to see in the auto industry over the next 10 to 15 years, how that plays out, how that impacts the operations of the company. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure that it's exactly comparable, but um, the analogy that I would use is uh, what happened between the dot-com bust in 99 and the beginning of the recovery uh, post 9-11 in 2002, 3, and 4 was a shift from lots of piece parts of technology to technology systems. In other words, customers stopped buying all these little piece parts and started moving towards larger infrastructure sophisticated systems. 
That was a major shift in the technology industry. It is, in fact, what caused us to acquire Compaq at the time, the largest single technology acquisition in history at that point. Uh, It was a major shift, and that shift played out for the next 10 to 15 years, actually, from piece parts to systems. And then, of course, the next shift that's going on in technology was from systems, a focus on infrastructure, to cloud. Um, And what happens, of course, is that the challenge for a company, the challenge for a CEO, is you must keep your profit engines going, but you also have to find enough resources to invest in the future. That sounds so fundamental, but it is always a very uh, delicate balancing act. Because if you put too much in the profit engines, which, after all, will fund the future, then you aren't investing enough to lead in the future. On the other hand, if you starve your profit engines and invest so much in the future, you can end up in this terrible trough where uh, you can't keep going. And so that's the balancing act that CEOs and industries have to make during these major transitions. Part of this uh, also is just the growth of digital that we've seen over the last, especially the last decade or so. Uh, But it's obviously been longer than that. And, And playing off of that, I wanted to get your thoughts around uh, technology and security, et cetera, uh, because of the Colonial Pipeline company hack. And, and we're lucky, obviously, that it wasn't the pipeline itself. That even did, you know, got shut down for a few days, but it's coming back online. But again, highlighting the importance of protection of digital and, and, and data and property moving forward for all of these companies. It's not, you know, a 300-day-a-year job. It's not a 250-day-a-year job. It's a it's a twenty four seven three sixty five job right now. That is correct, it, Dan. It's such a great point because cyber criminals, as opposed to cyber terrorists, cyber criminals are a booming industry, <laughs> and they are aggressive, and they are sophisticated, and they attack continuously. Every single organization out there. I don't care whether you're a big company, you're a nonprofit, your infrastructure, your government agency, you are being attacked all the time. Because it is so easy for the cyber criminals to make money. All they got to do is get it right one time. All they have to do is take something of real value and put it up for ransom. And a CEO is going to pay. If you have, if a criminal has something of real value to you, you will pay to get it back. Yes, you can buy insurance, but ultimately you're going to have to pay the criminals to get it back. And so organizations of all kinds have to be constantly monitoring themselves for threats, and they have to be constantly upgrading their defenses as well as, in some cases, their attacks if you're a government to ensure that there are consequences to some of these criminals, but they have to be constantly monitoring their defenses, constantly upgrading their defenses, because the criminals are constantly upgrading their capabilities and getting more and more aggressive. Well, and and I find it interesting in that scope of that conversation is that the companies obviously are having the approach that they have. But when you think about the government, uh, and especially the military, we know the shift that's been going on within the military to really up the ante on cyber defense, 
you know, focusing on that as really the next biggest threat that we're going to see in terms of uh, countries coming after us or us going after other countries, you know, over the next uh, 40, 50 years. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Cyber attacks are devastating in their potential without all the other collateral damage. And so, yes, it is the most, this is a terrible way to say it, but it's an extremely efficient way to wage a war. It is a very efficient way to damage or destroy an enemy. And so cyber defense is, uh, I'm sure, I'm quite confident, is the number one focus of our military. Of course, our military and our national government have another set of responsibilities as well. Not only must they defend, but sometimes they need to attack. Sometimes they need to create consequences for bad actors. And so I'm quite certain that after uh, the colonial pipeline was attacked, that our government agencies of some kind did something in retaliation. Uh, they needed to. I'm sure they did. I know we have taken retaliatory action against Russia, against China, against North Korea, and we need to continue to do so, so that criminals or governments or terrorists who are waging war uh, in uh, the cyber arena know that there are real consequences and ultimately think about mutually assured destruction, as we used to say in the Cold War. So obviously you can't really have that, though, when you're talking about the private sector. But with companies that do get hacked, and obviously we've seen a rash of of firms uh, get hacked and then obviously have their data held up for ransom, what do you say, what's the theme, what's the pattern that has to develop for companies in general when that type of scenario presents itself because of the, especially when you're talking about something like a hospital where the data is unbelievably value, especially as a value. And there's the health, uh, the health process part that people obviously are concerned about. What do those types of companies really have to do when you're talking about that, that ransomware attack? Well, first they have to be eternally and constantly vigilant. That was the point I was trying to make before. And what you suggested in your opening to this whole segment, this isn't a 300-day-a-year thing. This is 24 by 7. It is more than being vigilant, however. It is also continuing to invest more and more in cyber defense. That's just a reality. Uh, Whatever you're doing will be obsolete or not as strong as it needs to be four months from now, six months from now, a year from now. So you have to be vigilant. You have to invest. There's one other thing, though, and that is that we need to make some changes, and I know the Biden administration is beginning to do this through executive order, but we need to make changes so that government agencies and private organizations can work together when a cyber attack is detected. We need to make some changes so that companies can work together and not run afoul, for example, of antitrust laws. Companies can work together when attacks are detected or to thwart an attack or to share best practices. In other words, there needs to be more collaboration 
as opposed to silent capitulation, which is really what happened in the Capitol pipeline, right? I mean, they get attacked and they pay ransomware and it's all kind of quiet until they announce, oh my gosh, we've had to shut this thing down. That's what you don't want. You want organizations being able to work together so that the attack can be thwarted more quickly and lessons can be learned so that defenses are strengthened immediately. Uh, you know, I, I try and stay out of the political realm in, in our conversations, but what occurred around Liz Cheney, I wanted to have you touch on more so from a leadership perspective, because I think there's a lot of question going on around uh, the leadership in Washington, D.C., obviously in the wake of what we saw on January the 6th and now what we're seeing uh, in the uh, in in the ongoing division uh, that we have uh, between the political parties on Capitol Hill. Just get your thoughts in general on what happened and what it means for kind of the the lack of leadership, I think, at times we see on Capitol Hill. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I'm going to begin by quoting Margaret Thatcher for a moment. Margaret Thatcher said, you cannot lead from the middle of a crowd. There are a whole bunch of people on Capitol Hill who are standing in the middle of the crowd. And they're saying what the crowd wants to hear. Uh, They're saying what the former President Trump wants to hear. And that's not leadership. What I've always said is that a leader stands apart from the crowd when necessary and sees the truth, speaks the truth, and acts on the truth. So the truth is the election was not stolen. The truth is more people need to continue to say the election was not stolen so that Americans have faith in our electoral process. And in order to be able to act on that truth, we need to understand how so many people became convinced that an election was stolen and that they need to storm Capitol Hill in order to take an election back. Of course, there needs to be a commission. And unfortunately, a whole bunch of people, too many Republicans, are standing in the middle of the crowd, going along to get along and saying what a bunch of people want to hear, but what isn't true. Carly, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks again for a few moments. We wish you all the best, and we will uh, be in touch uh, in the very near future. Talk to you soon. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. You got it. Carly Fiorina, former CEO at HP. And as we mentioned as well, uh, 2016 GOP candidate for the nomination for president and, of course, the head of Carly Fiorina Enterprises. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.